Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. Got a great guest today I'm excited to uh, have on. Uh, he spoke at one of my events a few years ago when we could do those kinds of things in person. So I uh, want to welcome Tobias Reed, who's the Oregon State Treasurer. Welcome, Tobias. Thanks, Dan. Excited for the conversation. So we were just kind of chatting and whenever this comes out, but right now we're in the middle of an extreme heat wave and uh, pretty crazy for the state of Oregon. So we'll uh, hopefully everybody... Uh, you know, got through that okay by the time they listen to this. But let's start, Tobias. Love to learn, you know, about your career journey, and then for the folks who don't maybe fully grasp what the treasurer does for our state, <laughs> talk a little bit about that as well. Sure. Which is to say, most people who are dealing with uh, normal life. Uh, well, I'm an Oregonian by choice. I came here for college uh, after having been raised in Idaho, and have more or less uh, uh, stuck around because it's such a wonderful place. Uh, but I had the good uh, fortune during um, high school and college to work in, in politics. And when I went to Willamette, of course, it's right across the street. So it was easy to find an opportunity to try to uh, apply the lessons I was learning in the classroom uh, in the real world. And I got to work for some uh, legislators and some campaigns and those sorts of things. I found that I really liked it. So uh, after I finished uh, uh, at Willamette, I also had the chance to work in the U.S. Treasury Department in Washington, which really convinced me of my desire to better understand how business and government relate. The private and public sector, I think, is always where uh, the intersection of those two, where, where the most interesting things happen. So I headed off to, to business school at the University of Washington. Uh, I try not to say that too loudly uh, around here, but uh, but it was a great uh, a great business experience. Um, and then uh, came back to Oregon uh, and worked. At, uh, at Nike. And while I was there, uh, I ran for the legislature. And people often ask me what in the world that uh, had had to do with one with the other. But it turns out that being a, a footwear developer, which is what I was, um, this really good preparation for policymaking. This is not the artistic stuff. It's not the design stuff, but it's the project management. It's uh, iterating and, and uh, uh, continuing to uh, experiment to figure out what the recipe is for a shoe. And in that process, it really is a, a 
a question of priorities. So um, that's what I mean by uh, it being a good preparation for uh, policymaking. Yes, you could have that super special swoosh treatment, but maybe not at the price you want to pay uh, for that shoe. Or you could do that new rubber compound, but it might not be ready uh, for the delivery date you're seeking. So you get better with a, a variety of collaborators at determining what the real priorities are. And it turns out that's pretty useful uh, in the legislature. So I uh, was fortunate to serve in the legislature for 10 years, um, the House uh, representing Beaverton. And I found that to be very much like college where uh, uh, committees are sort of like classes and you have to figure out your major, uh, where you can add some value. And the things that I ended up working on based on uh, where, where there was a need and where I had some training and interest uh, coincided pretty well with the, uh, the Treasury's responsibilities. So I found myself working with treasurers and treasury staff. And uh, in 2016, the seat was open. I ran and uh, I, I think of Treasury as uh, something of a, of a political equivalent of graduate school now, building on the experience I had as a legislator, uh, but really being uh, deeper and, and somewhat narrower. And I'm, I feel like I'm going on too long, but the second half of that question, I suppose, is what Treasury does. So uh, yeah, that might well, be the place we'll, to I, It's really helpful. I'm just one question on that. Yeah. You were serving a legislator. Were you working at Nike still? Because I think a lot of people don't realize you know, our legislator people uh, all our representations they work still right so. yeah m most people i mean the the job as of legislator is uh is full time by work but but part time by pay right. so unless you are uh, retired or independently wealthy or a private practitioner or something. Yeah, most people have to figure something else out. And um, it was challenging in, in some sense, but I also tried to look at that as a real opportunity because it allowed me to have uh, one foot in both worlds and to reduce the chance of being uh, kind of isolated in the uh, in the capital. So mm -hmm. I still had a, had a sense of what it was like to, to be at work and have responsibilities and to be part of a obviously very successful Fortune 500 company and uh, those kinds of things. So I, I, I still, I did then and I still take a lot of um, inspiration and uh, lessons from the experience at Nike. So uh, I'm glad to uh, have done that and, and I'm still really cognizant of, uh, of how important it is to have a sense of what's going on in the real world, for I sure. It's really important, yeah. you know, and um, especially on the local level to see the folks in the community and working alongside them if you're at Nike or w wherever. Uh, so I wanted to point that out. So yeah. well, let's get into your work as a treasurer. You've been there since 2016 and... Um, We'll get into some stuff this past year, but yeah. again, for the folks that don't know, sorry, uh, your your role, uh, love to you to talk about it. Yeah, well, contrary to to what is sometimes uh, a popular opinion, uh, we don't decide the budget, uh, we don't uh, um, you know offer samples or anything like that. Sometimes <laughs> uh, uh, people ask about that, uh, and we're not tax collectors. That's another common misconception. Um, the legislature decides the budget. The Department of Revenue is the tax collectors. Our role really is to keep uh, money, public money particularly safe and hopefully growing before it's used for its intended purpose. So every dollar that comes into the state or goes out goes through Treasury. Um, we manage a portfolio that's about $120 billion. The vast majority of that is the pension fund, uh, but there are a number of other funds. And by putting them together, by managing them holistically, we're able to generate uh, better returns. And of course, everyone has a stake in that because a dollar that we 
we can generate from investment returns is a dollar that doesn't have to come from the budget or ultimately from taxes. So that's that's a really big part of our uh, of our responsibility, the, the management of, of state and, and some trust funds. Uh, we also issue and manage all the state's debt, the bonds that are used to finance infrastructure. Uh, and so a part of that is, is protecting the state's credit rating and, and interacting with those rating agencies mm. uh, so that Oregon maintains that tool, which can be obviously really important to, to finance infrastructure, to get through economic downturns and those sorts of things. So that's really significant as well. Uh, I'm part of the land board with the governor and the secretary of state who manages uh, a number of uh, thousands of, of state uh, trust lands mm. um, on a number of other boards and commissions and so on. But the, the piece that I think is really um, especially gratifying for us is the role we play as kind of a, a financial empowerment hub, uh, helping Oregonians to be in a position to invest in themselves. And we do that through three particular programs, the Oregon College Savings Plan. I hope we can talk in detail yeah. about each of these. Yeah. Um, Oregon Saves, which is our um, first in the country retirement savings plan for people in the private sector who otherwise uh, don't have that option. And Oregon Able, which is a, a savings program for Oregonians who are living with disabilities uh, and giving them important tools as well. So we really view that as a, a way to give Oregonians the chance to, to build the financial future they want for themselves. And so in, in total, I think we can we can be considered to be a, a, a financial hub for Oregon. And it's uh, it's really exciting and, and gratifying. Let's get in. Let's break each one of those down. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a six and two year old. So I'm familiar with the, uh, the college savings. Excellent. Glad to hear that. Let's, let's, um, talk about what makes it unique maybe versus other states. Yeah, there are a few things. I mean, what is not unique, and I know I'm glad to hear that you've already recognized this, is the power that it has. Um, just having a college savings account, no matter how much is in it, makes a child three times as likely to go to college and four times as likely to graduate from college. Hmm. And I should put, you know, I should note that there are quotes around that word college because it's not just four-year institutions. These are very effective and, and uh, appropriate community colleges, trade schools, apprenticeship programs. It's super flexible, not just in Oregon, uh, anywhere in the world that accepts federal financial aid. Uh, and it's flexible too. So if your older child gets a, a scholarship uh, and doesn't need that uh, account, it can be transferred to, to anyone uh, within a, a first cousin relationship. So, so very, very flexible. Okay. Uh, but I think there are two things that make Oregon's uh, particularly unique. One is the, the tax treatment that, that we offer uh, in Oregon. Um, and this comes from, from a really uh, strong frustration I felt for a long time, stems from the fact that people who use the college savings plan don't look like Oregon's population. Uh, population. They're disproportionately affluent white people from metro areas. So we've mm -hmm. made a really determined effort uh, to, to, to get better at that, to reach every geographic and demographic corner. One of the ways we've done that is by changing the tax treatment. It used to be, uh, and I think your, your audience, Dan, is going to understand the, the nerdy aspect of this. <laughs> it used to be a tax deduction for contributions into college savings plan accounts. And that's fine, particularly if you're among the lucky few who make sufficient income to itemize deductions. But if you're not, and that's a large portion of the population, that, that incentive is not meaningful or useful. 
So we went to the legislature and changed it to a refundable tax credit, which means that it's useful to people at every income level. And we went further and made it progressive so that it's dollar for dollar for the lowest income Oregonians. And that incentive decreases as a family's income goes up. What that really means is that if you make a contribution, you'll get it back in the form of a bigger tax refund or a smaller tax bill. And if you're imagine this family who's uh, making thirty thousand a year or less, for example, if they could put three hundred dollars into a college savings plan, their tax refund will go up by three hundred, or their bill will go down by three hundred. And the not so secret secret is, of course, they could take that three hundred that they get back and put it into the account right. again and roll it forward for 18 or more years. And that's not going to pay for a full four-year degree, but it's going to make a significant impact in what a student might have to borrow. And most importantly, it changes the expectation because that kid will know that someone believes in them, that there are investments being made on their behalf, that there are expectations for them. So I think that's the message we re really want to send to every Oregon kid, that they are capable and worthy uh, and that we believe in them. One other unique aspect uh, of, of our program, which is, um, I think, less important than that notion of just getting people started, and I'll come back to that in a second as well, yeah. is that there's um, the equivalent of a target date fund in investment uh, options exists in college savings plan right. too, a sort of target date enrollment. And in most states, it's kind of chunky and imprecise. So they might say, here's the allocation for a person from zero to five years of age, and here's five to nine, and so on. And you only see a handful of uh, of options. Uh, we are unique in having constructed a a glide path that includes a different allocation for every single year. So it's a much smoother glide path and, and a lot less chunky, which results in better uh, returns over time. But again, the, the conclusion here is, please, to all the listeners, help us get this message out. Make sure that people know about why a college savings plan makes a difference. And I want to equip everyone with a really I think a really powerful tool, something we call baby grad. It's a, a program under which uh, any account that is opened for an Oregon born baby before that first uh, birthday for that baby will get $25 in the account just to start. No questions asked, no further, uh, nothing further required. And we've had such success with that, that the same deal exists for kindergartners, kindergrad. So if you know anybody who has a, a kindergartner uh, who recently had a baby or is about to have a baby, make sure they know about it. Make sure they have a college savings plan account in place. I hope this eventually uh, gets gets on the list with vaccinations and other important yeah. things to say uh, everyone needs a, a college savings account. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, I, to be candid with you, I signed my kids up the first one late, um, even though here I am, someone who I, I consider myself very informed, mm -hmm. you know, got the messaging, but I still didn't do it when I probably should have. And I think uh, this is something I don't know. Maybe I'll have you pontificate on this. I know this is stepping out of your role a little bit like it's fine. the Oregon driver's license thing where you're just kind of auto enrolled, maybe some of the voting stuff. Do you see a time where? That could become policy where you just, the state just, hey, we opened it, put $25 already for you. I, I would love for that to happen. The specific mechanism that exists now uh, makes that hard because of the, uh, the requirements and, and being tied to a social security number and mm -hmm. uh, those sorts of things. But there are, there are definitely uh, proposals um, that take different approaches to that, uh, especially like uh, one federal proposal um, commonly known as baby bonds 
funds. The idea of putting a, a lump sum uh, into an account designated for a, a child when they're born. Um, some of those are, are specific to college. Some are a lot more flexible about uh, what they might be used for. But the idea of making an investment in a young person is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm the state's chief investment officer, yeah. so I can say this with some, uh, some credibility, I think. But investing in human potential from the beginning is a great idea. And I'm, I'm enthusiastic and open to, to any mechanism by which we might do that. Let's, uh, let's get into organ saves. I know this is something when you came in, uh, talked to a meeting I have, uh, I had a few years ago of HR executives. That was this big topic. Um, so I'm not sure if all employers I'm sure are familiar with it, but kind of where, where it's at right now, I'd love for you to break it down too. Yeah, this, um, it starts from the recognition that Oregon, like like basically every country across the state, has a real retirement gap. Uh, about half of people who are working work uh, for an employer um, who doesn't offer them a retirement option. And that's going to be a problem uh, when those folks get to retirement age if something doesn't change. They'll essentially have to choose between retiring into uh, into poverty or not retiring at all, unless they're in the really small population, uh, talking you know less than 5%, who have the wherewithal um, to take that on themselves. It's understandable why people don't, because it's complicated. It's uh, intimidating. It feels like it's a long way off, even when it's not. So, we set out to try and uh, remove those barriers to make it easier for people to do what's in their own best interests. And uh, we worked with a, a number of other states um, and became the first state just about four years ago uh, to enact what's essentially a, an opt-out IRA program. So it's now the law that if you're an employer in Oregon uh, and you don't offer a retirement plan, you're required to facilitate Oregon saves. And what that means is you say to your employees, unless you tell me otherwise, 5% of your wages are going into your IRA. The, the employee can change that to any number they want from zero to 100. But the standard path, if nothing else happens, is 5%. And that escalates by 1% each year up to up to 10%. So we're about 4 years into this now mm-hmm. and I'm happy to tell you that we have about a, we have about 110,000 uh, funded IRAs right. and they have saved about 115 million dollars. And the really exciting and powerful thing about this I think is that these are mostly people who have never saved before. Mm-hmm. So it's got them on a path um, to generating their own autonomy, their own um, their, their own vision of what kind of a retirement and financial future they want. And uh, to my conservative friends, uh, I say, even if you're only interest is in small government. I think this is something you should like because when people have those resources, they have choices and they're going to need less help from us as taxpayers in the future. Yeah, 100%. I know, it, gosh, you must have just fairly started it when you when you talk to our group. So that's great to hear it's going well. And I, is this, how does it compare to our peers in other states? We're pretty progressive on this, it sounds like. We, we are the very first uh, to do it. But interestingly, we were the third to pass the legislation. Uh, and we're working really closely. There are two other states that are operating right now in Illinois and California. Um, they are a little farther behind in terms of the implementation, but they're learning from the things that we're doing. And in fact, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the sense that this is all a, a similar um, uh, mission or intent, uh, it's probably good that a relatively smaller state like Oregon went first because the less 
lessons we're learning can be applied to the bigger states, California and Illinois. And there is a whole separate category um, or tier maybe of, of states that are a little further back. Colorado's passed legislation, Maryland, Connecticut, New York, um, and and yet another tier of states that are considering how they might do it. So I think we really are living up to our reputation here and the uh, the, the name that's on our, our NBA team jerseys as, as trailblazers here. Yeah, yeah that's great. Well, um, I want to talk about this last year and things that <laughs> from your just kind of leadership hat or just, you know, leaving, leading a family uh, or being with your, with your partner and the team in that. And what have you learned? And especially maybe tying it back to just the agency and your, your role as elected official. I think it really pays, uh, to be prepared. I can't claim that we were prepared for a pandemic, but we were really conscious of the fact that Oregon is susceptible to a, a large earthquake. It's, it's still coming. So we'd taken a really intentional approach of making sure that our key personnel had, uh, laptops, fairly simple thing in retrospect, uh, but it made it really easy or relatively easy, I should say, for us when the pandemic started to say, um, you know, everybody scatter, work from home. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't suffer any uh, you know, loss of, of capability by doing that. Had we not been prepared, it could have been a lot harder. And we are one of those uh, sneaky mission critical agencies. People don't think about us, um, but moving money around uh, is pretty important to the capability of the state. The, the economy comes grinding to a halt if Treasury isn't able to, to make payroll, to distribute PERS uh, benefits. Um, all those kinds of things uh, really matter. So we've, uh, we've recommitted to that effort. Um, we are, for example, under construction on a new Treasury building in, uh, in Salem that is going to be one of very few in the country that has a uh, platinum rating from the U.S. Seismic Resilience Council. So it will, uh, it will be ready to go after uh, our large earthquake. Uh, and that's not something that happens by accident. So uh, yeah. that preparation, of course, takes lots of forms, not just in, in physical infrastructure, but I think uh, being clear on, on what the priority is, making sure that uh, people practice things uh, and are ready uh, really, really matters. Um. I want to ask just about getting into politics because sure. it's interesting for someone like you, maybe people don't realize this path, right? Uh, of taking your experience, working at Nike, getting an MBA. It's something people might just say, think of, you know, what they see on TV or whatever. So what's your conversations around young people getting in politics or even agencies like working for, you know, the treasury to, of the state. Well, I think it's it's essential. I think everyone ought to find some way uh, to to be involved in public service. Um, being an elected official is not the only way, of course, but I think it's um, it's both essential to um, creating the sort of place that we want to live in and that we want to leave to to future generations. And it's also really gratifying. You can you can do it for sort of selfish reasons. It feels good uh, to be contributing to to other people and to the future and that sort thing. So, uh, I, I think running for office is, uh, it, it's exciting. It's, um, 
It's challenging. It's not always for everyone, but I don't think people should um, should foreclose that option and don't think that the, the legislature is the only place to do that. There are lots of other offices, uh, many of which go overlooked and sometimes uh, uncontested that mm. that matter to the to the quality of a, of a community. Um, they're thinking about uh, parks boards and, and uh, uh, fire boards and planning commissions and lots of things, some of which are appointed, some of which are elected, um, but it matters. And there is talent uh, out there uh, that, that, that we are suffering uh, when we don't take advantage of. So everyone has got something to offer in terms of perspective, in terms of skill. And I am always eager uh, to, to, to help people when they want to offer that to, to their community. What's interesting for me, I mean, I've been doing this podcast for three or four years and some of the executives I talk to or leaders, I find out a lot of them have served like as a chief of staff or, you know, something like that in the, here in Oregon. And it's really cool to see that progression, that sense of service they have. You make so, a good point. It's really yeah. good preparation uh, for other things, too. Um, I certainly worked for other legislators and uh, elected officials without the idea that that would someday be me. Right. Um, but you can pick up all kinds of lessons uh, and skills that are that are useful no matter what the circumstances that might follow. Tobias, we're about to wrap up our time here. So a couple of things. Where can people just find about these programs you you mentioned? I know one of them we didn't, you know, I get to talk more in depth about, but maybe you can throw out the site for it or, or things. That would be great. Yeah, just looking at, at Oregon Treasury, um, oregon.gov slash treasury. There are links to all of uh, of our programs, uh, oregoncollegesavings.com, uh, oregonsaves.com, and oregonable.com. Um, these are all really accessible. Uh, people can follow me individually if they like. Um, also easy to find on the standard social media channels. Um, and I hope people will keep in touch because uh, the work I'm privileged to be able to do really depends on that connection with with people. Uh, I want to make sure that we're we're serving you and, and that we at the very least have a good sense of what's happening in your lives and how we can be of most assistance. All right, Tobias. Thanks so much. Thanks. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.